0: This week on the Fieldhouse Files, the NBA bubble is over and was a huge success. Jeff Sherman is a member of the Pacers stats crew. He was invited down to Disney by the NBA, and so we discussed his experience. And welcome into another episode of the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Hi again, everybody. I'm Scott Agnes, and it's about time we put a wrap, put a bow on the NBA's bubble and how successful it really was. Um, At one point, you had league staffers and some media members that had spent more than 100 days out of town, away from their families and on that campus of Walt Disney World so the league could finish the season. And they did, thanks to strict rules and testing. Nobody associated with the league tested positive for COVID-19. And on top of that, you were able to finish out the season. The Lakers won the championship. And that was important both monetarily and I think for the record books to not only start the season. You got to finish what they originally started all the way back last September. So it had been more than a year since they had started the season from when they were able to finish it. Now, to put on the event, hundreds of other staff members entered the bubble in addition to the teams, and so I talked with public address announcer Tim Sinclair before he entered the bubble, and now I want to connect with Jeff Sherman, a member of the Pacers stats crew. He works events all over town. If there's a, a sporting event, he's probably working it. He's at Colts games. He does IUPUI games. He's a former sports information director at Marion University. So Sherman, John Gleasing, David George, those are three members of the Pacers stats crew and those three represented the Pacers inside the bubble. Sherman worked 38 games over 62 days. and he continued to teach several IUPUI classes remotely and he was actually supposed to have another game he was at and scheduled ready to work the game before the Bucks and the Magic and the Bucks opted not to. Now, this was a fun podcast looking back on the bubble environment, the pickleball games led by official Scott Foster, and how much they could hear courtside. If you haven't subscribed or left a review for the Fieldhouse Files, please take one minute to do that. It can help this show, which is for you fans, grow and would mean a lot to me. So to leave a review, simply go to ratethispodcast.com slash fieldhousefiles. Now here's my conversation with Pacers Stats crew member, Jeff Sherman. Jeff, first of all, welcome back. Second of all, pre-interview, I'm learning you were not staying on of the news. How is that? What was bubble life like? Um, I figured you guys did nothing but talk about NBA and such inside the bubble there.
1: Well, there was some talk of it here and there, but more than anything, it was, you know, you had your, your regimented schedule of okay. being in your room at a meal, and maybe playing some pickleball, and maybe going to the pool, and then your game, and then you were back in your room.
0: Did you know what pickleball was before going down there?
1: I knew of it, but I had never seen it played, and I got to watch Scott Foster and some of those guys play that game, and Scott Foster is a madman on the pickleball court.
0: In what way? Like his aggressiveness or the, the focus in which he places on each game? All of it. He's so good. Like he's just he's the
1: he was like light years ahead of everyone else (laughs) on the on the pickleball court. I mean, you're just watching people, and you're like, whoa, he's super good. And then other people got really good while they were playing, like Tyler Ford and some of the guys we know. Mm -hmm. They uh, they turned out to be pretty good too.
0: So you had this unique experience, this unique offer to go down, be one of the individuals, hundreds of individuals inside the bubble. Um, be part of history, quite honestly. And what I'm hoping, Jeff, is that somebody was inside that we don't know about and is writing a book out of it. I know there is. I think Ben Gulliver of the Washington Post planning on it. Um, but I'm I, secretly, I was hoping somebody was getting full access so that we could get a book because this is hopefully once in a lifetime experience. Let's go back to the beginning. I think in June when you got the call, what were your initial hesitations? Did you ever think, no, no chance? I got to stay home and be with my family.
1: Honestly, no. Um, back in June, we got an email that asked for, that there was a questionnaire from the NBA that said, uh, let us know if you're available uh, for X amount of time, whether it be four to eight weeks, 8 to 12 weeks, or the whole thing, which was 12 to 14 weeks. And I kind of looked at it and went, well, what am I available for? And I said, well, honestly, I could be available for all of it. So I put, marked all three and said, mm-hmm. hey, whatever happens, happens. And the funny thing about it is, is that, you know, I was down there for two months. And so I was down there for eight, for eight total weeks. And that first email, I kind of was like, do I want to go do this? Or I mean, obviously, yeah, make history. You know I mean? I, that's the first Absolutely. thing that came in. So I'm thinking about it. And and I look at my wife and I said, what do you think? And my wife said, you're nuts not to, you know, and the hesitations came in with, you know, we're headed to the, to the hotspot of the world at the time, you know, the the COVID hotspot of the world at the time and, you know, 10,000 cases a day. And you're sitting there going, what am I doing? You know, I'm heading down to this and not sure of anything, you know, so I headed down there. I got the, got the call that, you know, Hey, we're going to, we're going to have you down. We don't know how long yet, but uh, we'll schedule you out when we get there. I had to go through some health testing and stuff before I left. But um, then I got, I, I actually was a random way of going down. I didn't fly. And I didn't drive.
0: I was surprised you didn't fly. I know PA announcer Tim Sinclair, for example, did.
1: Yeah, that wasn't going to happen for me. And the reason why is because I wasn't real comfortable sharing air with people that I I didn't know. So flying was out. So turns out my mother and my sister were actually going to go vacation down there because my aunt lives (laughs) down there and a couple of my mom's friends are down there. And so they were driving. So they bumped their vacation back a week to drive me down there. So literally, we drove up to the Waldorf Astoria on July 12th at like 8.30 p.m. Yep. after 15 hours of driving, and I got out and was stranded.
0: <laughs> they waved goodbye, and you go, what did I just get myself into?
1: You got it. I got my two suitcases, and I got a couple of smaller bags, and I'm sitting there going, okay, well, now if I if I test positive or I get to – get banned from the bubble mm-hmm. I have no way home
0: <laughs> what what was the most important thing beyond obvious things that you brought down to the bubble I read online you wrote a nice piece on LinkedIn would it have been your Xbox
1: that was probably number one yes um, there were long nights of playing Xbox but okay. that was all you could do man I mean it was you could go out and socialize and be out at the pool and hang out and things like that but I was not gonna do that because honestly and, and this is nothing against anybody else but I was there for a job. You know, I was going to go do my job to the best of my ability and then just head back to my room and try to stay, you know, out of harm's way and keep my nose clean, you know, even though we were in my opinion in the safest place on the planet. Yeah, absolutely. But I just was not comfortable with that. So there was a couple of times when I went and hung out with people, but it was more of, you know, I was just going to go back to my room and have my food and work on my computer and get my classes ready and and then play Xbox pretty much from I don't know, 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock at night until somewhere between 2 and 4 in the morning because, you know, the one thing about the bubble is that you lost track of your life a little bit.
0: And, and the timing's not a big deal because all your games generally are late in the afternoon. So you being up till 4, well, you could probably sleep in until 1, let's say, if, Which you, I never if did, you wanted to there. With you. I yeah. was
1: always up at 8 or 9, you know, even okay. if I went to bed at 4.
0: And those are the flexibility you were able to have. Now, did you get into anything fun like fishing, like golfing, like bowling that were offered? Well,
1: we weren't allowed. We we weren't we we. Didn't those were off limits to you guys. Yeah, we wow. didn't have access to the golfing and the, the bowling, which wasn't a big deal. I mean, we had access oh. to fishing. The golfing yeah, would have been a big I deal fished for once me. Once or twice, but caught nothing.
0: The golfing off limits would have been so upsetting to me. I would have got a, a round in every single morning. That would have been a little my disappointing, exercise.
1: But at the same time, you know. You kind of, your days just kind of flew by, you know, once you got past that first week and then into, you know, you went, we went and did the venue tour and the three venues we toured all three of them Mm -hmm. and then got into our, our scrimmages and our seating games. It was, you were going, I mean, you were on the go, you know, and it was, you weren't going to get back to the arena. You weren't going to get back to your room until possibly 1230 at night. So during that time, it was a little bit hectic, but as we got into the playoffs, it turned into a little bit less, there was a little bit more downtime, I guess you could call it.
0: What was the one thing you wish you had or you had to order on Amazon because it was huge and you forgot to bring it or didn't think of it? Medicine. That was
1: one thing. I ran out because I wasn't sure how long I was staying, so my wife, you know, Amazon primed me some medicine, (laughs) you know, she she ordered some medicine for me. Um... And my mother sent me an air purifier. That was it. So, those were the two things that honestly were helpful, and I couldn't really do without.
0: I was going to laugh if you mentioned like a second monitor for your gaming. um, Or, (laughs) on the NBA side, it was hilarious because, I mean, one guy bought a refrigerator. I thought about bringing
1: it with me. I have a big monitor at home that I thought about bringing (laughs) with me. And then I thought, you know what? That's just overkill. I don't really need that. I'm not a gamer. I just like to play games. You but know? it's
0: not overkill when you're there for that significant amount of time. And if people don't, may not remember, the first week you literally could not leave the room. So I would think the hardest part just being like you need to go see some sunlight and you need to like move around physically.
1: Yeah, and the worst part about that, Scott, was the fact that our windows didn't open.
0: Oh, so, so you couldn't even get fresh every air. every room
1: had a window, and you couldn't even <laughs> open your window and to breathe in fresh air. So, I kind of—I I wouldn't say I violated protocol. I would say there were times when you know you you just crack your door and just take a breath. Yeah, there might have you been know? a
0: chance when somehow you thought somebody was at the door, and so you had to go open it. Yeah, yeah, kind of, sort of. That, that makes sort of a lot Maybe of sense.
1: Maybe your meal, you know, you'd wait till your meal, because we get our meals dropped off to us at 8 a.m., mm-hmm. noon, and 6 p.m., basically on the dot, and you'd reach out and be like, oh, I'm going to hang here as much <laughs> as I can and get as much fresh Florida, humidity-filled, wet air as I can into my lungs before I step back into my room.
0: Yeah, let me bring in the, the dinner one item at a time. Hold on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it was. It that was sounds cool, silly, but, time.
0: yeah, let's do that. Because they gave you an incredible spread. That might take you 10 minutes.
1: It was an incredible spread. Hot and cold food during that first week. But I will tell you what, that first week, by the end of it, you were ready to bounce off a wall.
0: Yeah, that's what everybody was saying. That It wasn't good that first week as they kind of got things and everybody settled in. But at least on the NBA side, everybody was more than happy with it. I don't know, did you have room service available and those sorts of oh, things? Yeah. Okay. Oh
1: yeah, we had the ability to order room service and... People would deliver things. Honestly, um, after we got out of of the isolation, uh, we lost access to the gift shop at Coronado. And mm-hmm. I called the front desk and said, hey, I would like to get a pack of postcards, but I can't get to the gift shop. And they said, we'll send one right up. So they sent up a pack of 10 postcards. Oh, that's awesome. Stands. You know, so the Disney people really took care of us. I mean, it was it that, that was hospitality to the extreme. Did I mean, you it really was. Did you
0: sense any nervousness on their part, or they kind of appreciated because without you guys, the NBA and everyone, they're probably not working honestly.
1: I would assume that they're not working, but you could you could tell there was some apprehension, and you okay. could also tell that there was some excitement. You know the the one the one example that I have is there was a woman that brought uh, see I when I got there my my bag wasn't ready. So I had registered for the hotel and gotten everything done on the app, and I didn't have a magic band waiting for me. So they had to scramble together a magic band for me, and I don't know if you saw the magic bands, but they were branded, right? Yep, yep. Well, I didn't get a branded one. So one day I got a little bit petty, and I said this to to David George. You know know Dave.
0: Yep, another guy on the stats crew.
1: Yeah, I said it to him. I said, maybe I'm a little bit petty, but I'm going to call the front desk and see if I can get a branded magic band. And sure enough, they brought me a a branded magic band. And the woman looks at me and she says, now here's this. She hands me the magic band and she says, I would take a wipe and wipe that down. And, you know, I'm okay. I've tested negative. So you could tell that there was some apprehension there. Okay, yeah. But it was, she was really being forthright with me. And I said, I'm not worried about it because I figured she was. Um, But I did wipe everything down and, you know, the things that she had basically asked me to do, you know. She even said wipe down the doorknob because I grabbed it. You know, she was very just very good about it and
0: it sounds like they were mindful of the little details where yes, they're probably okay, although we should note that most Disney employees were not tested throughout all this, or at least it wasn't mandatory. So yeah, you should take those extra steps. That's pretty cool to hear.
1: Yeah, they were they were great. And I'm gonna tell you what, the people that that need the most credit out of everybody is the testing group. Those nurses and, and attendants, they were there countless hours of the day full shifts and whatnot and they tested all of us
0: did you go to the same person same lady same setup every single day
1: yes and i actually got to know one of them i I never got her name ironically enough but um i did get to know one of them she talked about her child you know she has a son that was going to school and things like that she found out i was a professor and you know, things like that, and she was just very uh, comfortable talking with me, you know, and uh, it just kind of, there's just a little relationship there, and that's who I'd go to every day.
0: I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but from the business standpoint all this, you're obviously on the stats crew. You're inputting it on the computer or calling it out, and you've done it not only for the Pacers, but I'll see you at IUPUI games. You're at Colts games, Indians games, all over. Um, So I guess just briefly to go back to that, what got you into this field? Why do you like stats and being part of games so much, Jeff?
1: Well, you gotta remember I was a sports information director at Marion for close to ten years. Mm-hmm. And so I kinda grew into that role and loved the PR stuff, you know. I got out because of, you know, some health concerns, but you know, I got out and I just wanted to stay in it. And honestly we all do, Scott yeah. Fishman is the reason. Okay. I'll name drop on you. You know, Scott Fishman is the reason. He 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 contacted me in two thousand six about football when we started it, and he said, I wanna be your stat guy. I said, sure, because I had no idea how to do football stats in 2006. So he joined me and worked for me for basically all 10 years. And in 2014 said, hey, I need a backup for the Pacers crew. Um, David Benner, the PR guy for the Pacers, said uh, we need to train you. So they sent me to Grand Rapids, Michigan for a weekend to train on the old uh, stat system. And then they changed it in 2016, (laughs) and Scott and I were like immediately one of the best groups you know team i guess you call it teammates on the on the system because the genius people looked at us and said wow you guys are really good and now we've got good relationships with those people and it turned out i ended up getting elevated to the crew and you know i've been at it since 2016
0: yeah and i should mention i think scott fishman kind of the director of Pacer stats for game night is that is that fair
1: he's the stat crew supervisor he is that for the colts he's that for you know the pacers um
0: and, and even his dad's probably in the business. your stat guy all yeah. over the state. <laughs> right. And I love it because his dad's in the business. Randy has courtside seats at Butler, by the way.
1: Oh, yeah. And I tell you what, man, the, the guys that I work with, David George and John Glessing and Scott Fishman and Scott George and all those guys at the table, you know, we've got the best crew to me in the country, you know, in the league. And. Good people in the PR staff. You know, Chrissy Myers was down in down in uh, Orlando with us. Yeah, she was she was with the team, and we hooked up. Uh, I think it was what maybe two weeks in. We hooked up for dinner one night and just chatted it up, and it was good to you know kind of catch up with her. And we hadn't seen her since March, you know. Um, but awesome, just awesome group. You know, everybody there is just awesome.
0: It's probably fair to say you're the most important part of the stats crew job is being both accurate and quick in your work.
1: Yes, Uh, (laughs) speed, accuracy, and uh, being able to print fast. Those are the three things that I think are the most important. I say that because we get yelled at if we don't print fast.
0: But I I laugh (laughs) at that now, though, Jeff, because everything's online and in media that are listening will know we have a great courtside site where I don't even want printouts. Some games will bring it to us at different locations. I don't need to waste the paper, but I get it in certain circumstances, like you're probably talking about the teams where they always take printouts after every time out. Um, otherwise, it yes, seems like it's growing it's to be overkill. <laughs> right. But it shouldn't be. No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's less about the media, but we still are involved with the media. But it's yep. more about team PR, you know, coaches. And when we were down there, I'll never forget it. The first time we went in, they were talking about trying to go paperless. And we went the exact opposite route of that. There ended up being like four printers down there. Oh, no. uh, It was just we had to print to three different locations every game. And it was, you know, you get yelled at if you don't get it in time or whatever. And, yeah, I was primary for for pretty much the whole seeding games. I was primary inputter. Then I was secondary inputter during the playoffs for the most part. And I was the printer, the print guy in the playoffs. And luckily I didn't get yelled at because, you know, I, I printed pretty much every time very quickly. But when I was primary, there was no real it just kind of was still a little chaotic because team PR was printing and it just was a little okay. bit, you know, all the stuff you don't really need to know about, but it was a little bit more chaotic during the seating games.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned three printers. So I can probably guess, right. You got one court side, you have one for broadcast and then one somewhere else, maybe behind the scenes or something where yeah, those are I going. Think they
1: dubbed that basically VIP. Gotcha. And that's why during the playoffs, any VIPs that were there, you know, pronounced went up that went up that direction, but we never saw those printers.
0: And that makes those sense, two right? We never saw and that's another way to keep people separated. The less people touching paper and those sorts of things. Um, and you know what? Man, the better.
1: The, that's the other thing about the, the the bubble that I have to speak about is just the fact that they were so good when it came to the distancing. Everything was set up perfectly, in my opinion. You know, the the benches were set up great you know the, the across the court you didn't see it because it was under the TV side but they were separated individual chairs were separated out even when the families were there they were in individual chairs you know mm-hmm.
0: the plexiglass uh, from the benches to you guys right there at court sides at the stats table even you'd that had to be think that boost.
1: that plexiglass would be kind of a hindrance and it really wasn't because we had comms we all had communications we all had headsets and microphones okay and we were able to communicate with the scorebook Scoreboard, game clock, shot clock. That probably made it easier than with us
0: for you you guys at the table because you could just hop on and say, Hey, you know, and mention your message rather than having to track them down or lean back in your chair like I'm used to seeing you do.
1: Yes, that's pretty much yeah. Instead of shouting at each other <laughs> and having to to bend over and say, Hey, I'm looking at you when I'm yelling at you. Um, it was more of, you know, Dave, we need this done. Okay, I got it. And it was just quietly into a microphone. But honestly, to me, the best part was inside that plexiglass. We had speakers, and we could hear the officials talking during games. Like Either one of them or a couple of them had their mics on, and it was amazing to hear the conversation.
0: So are you saying literally as the game is being played? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Okay, because yeah, obviously, obviously us on TV are able to see when the, the crew chief comes over, explains, hey, here's a challenge, which I love, and they should continue with keeping him mic'd up when he's talking to the scores table. But you're saying during the game.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. We heard, I mean, there were there were times when one of the officials would say, you know, write that down, you know, to, to, certain, to certain people at certain times of the game because they want to go back and look at it on film. Absolutely. And so he had the opportunity to do that with a the microphone there. We could hear him. And then we would hear the banter back and forth with the coaches. Sometimes <laughs> we could hear it with the players. Sometimes I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. Like it made it made it more entertaining on our end, but it also made it we could actually hear how the talking was happening. I mean, most of the time you're a fan or you're somebody that's not hearing it, and all you think is they're yelling at each other. When in reality, it really is the referees are just kind of like I'm saying, okay, I got you, I heard you, we'll look at it, you know, something of that nature. It was real calm. You know, it was just, it was never, you know, there was never any, you know, screaming at each other or anything like that. It was more of, wow, you just don't realize that unless you hear them. You know, you see them going back and forth, but you don't realize that their voices are as calm as could be.
0: And you had some incredible games that were incredibly stressful. You had guys go off for 50. I think you had several overtime games, several high-scoring games. I think you had like a 150-type score um, and all of that. What was the general feel to the games like uh, in terms of did it feel l- less important or or anything like that because that's the one thing it does I have noticed only in the finals because you do have those fan bases go back and forth and clearly a guy like say Tyler Hero who's never played in a playoff game or a road playoff game he would be impacted some way by a crowd and that's not happening right now.
1: Boy, I'm here to tell you the the what you hear on TV, we hear in the arena. So Everything you hear crowd-wise, you know, I've, I've been asked that question by several students of, you know, was the was the noise that we heard on TV the same for you? Was it loud? My God, yes, it was loud. Because that same audio you were hearing, we were hearing. All the defense chants, right. all of the, the crowd noise, we were hearing all of that. I wow. knew that,
0: but I didn't know how loud it was turned up. My it, it, my understanding it got it got it was there quiet. There were
1: times when it got there. Okay. And we were just like, wow, is that loud, you know? Um, but the, the one game that I... The number one game I remember – well, I have two in my mind. One was when Murray and, and Mitchell went off for 50 in that game. They were just back and forth, and neither one of them could miss. Mm-hmm. Um Utah, I think, won that game by two, I think, or something like that. I don't even remember the score most of the time as a statistician. Um, But the second game we did in the seeding games was Houston-Dallas on national TV at 9 o'clock at night. And that was like 140 to 136 <laughs> or something like that. I mean, it was just a shootout. And you're yeah. sitting there going, okay – this is setting the tone, right? I mean, if we're going to have 280-point games, you're sitting there going, wow, this is going to be fun. Well, you know what? I thought the level of competition was as high as it could get.
0: Agreed. The, yeah.
1: the guys were getting after it. Um, you look at Phoenix going 8-0 down there. Yeah, they missed out on the playoffs, but you know what? They went 8-0 in the bubble. They were the only ones that went undefeated. And to see them... Play as hard as they did, and just just get you. Just had your gut ripped out when they didn't get in, you know, because you're just like, man, these guys could make some noise. Would they have? I don't know, but I mean, that would have been tough. That would have been t- any any team coming in eight 0 winning eight in a row, mm-hmm. going into the playoffs could be a, 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 a task to handle for any one seed, you know. So it was. Uh, there were some games that were you're just sitting there going, oh, we just need this to end because <laughs> it's a thirty point blowout. But then there were some games where you're just like, man, I don't ever want this to end. Like that Mitchell Murray game when they were just going back and forth. I saw some shots that I'm sitting there going, "There's no way he's going to make that." Oh, there it went. Yep. You know, and that and it was you just sitting there going, "These guys can't miss," and they're just back and forth, back and forth. And you're going, "I don't want this to end. I want it to go five overtimes." You know. So and seeing the on, and I didn't get to see it in person. I don't think I can't remember. I did what 38 games over 62 days down there. And the T.J. Warren night when he went off, we didn't do that game, I don't think. And he went off for 51, was it? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that was an amazing game to watch. And no, you I did... wish we could have seen that all the time.
0: But you did fortunately get at least a couple Pacer games, I remember, right?
1: Yeah, we got a scrimmage and one seating game. Okay. Yeah.
0: So yeah, how we, I how, think we got
1: a playoff game, too. I think we got one playoff game, too.
0: So how far in advance, Jeff, would you know your schedule? Would you know a week out? Would you know a couple days in advance? Or wake up that morning and say, hey, you have one game today?
1: Well, for the whole first month, we knew our schedule in advance because everything was scheduled out, and we would get up to two games a day. And typically, they were in the same arena. So, for Makes instance, sense. if we would – if we had two games on a day, we'd start with, like, the 3 o'clock game at, at 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 Advent Health Arena, which when we first started, it was the arena. Right. They 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 got a sponsor midway through, right? Um, <laughs> but at at AHA, we'd start that game at 3, and then we would get the night game. Or we'd start the 1 o'clock at the field house, and we'd get the 6 o'clock. You know what I mean? So it would be – during the seating, it was a lot of two-game nights. Um, when we got into playoffs, it was – you know we would just cover a game each night, you know because there was there was a there was a what do you call it a um i wouldn't call it an exodus but a you know just a sending home of people after the first month and then after the second round was when we left, so we were done after the second round of playoffs, so everything slowed pretty much at the beginning of playoffs it just slowed down to one game a day, so it ended up being you would get timed out. But see, the thing is what people don't understand is that we weren't able to walk over to the arena. So we'd have to be there 90 minutes early. Guess what? We'd have to take the bus two hours in advance. So we'd get there two hours in advance, you know, like an hour and 45, but we had to be there 90. So it was like every day, if you had a six o'clock game, you had to leave at Mm four. You know, if you had a one o'clock game, you have to leave at 11, you know? So it was like, it's all day affair, you know?
0: I was wondering if you'd be able to hey, if you had your the two thirty game, if then you could walk over and check out the six o'clock in the other arena because you're done for the day.
1: and no, we were not able to do that.
0: That's too bad. yeah, we were not able
1: there. to we were not able to watch other games, but think about it for a moment. you know that's we've been in the same arena all day, and then there's nobody supposed to be in there other than the staff working that arena. And that makes sense when you're thinking about the social distancing and the the, the COVID stuff. You're right. Limiting it makes exposure. Sense. It's a simple You don't as let that. other people in. Yeah. I mean, we could have gone over there and snuck it out. You know, I didn't sneak it. I didn't sneak anything. I was, I, I'm a pretty big rule follower, you know. Um, so I just kind of stuck with hit the bus, do the games, grab some food, hit the bus, come home, you know, back to the room. And it ended up becoming home after 60 days, you know. Um, Let's just say reentry was difficult after 62 days.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure, I was also impressed amongst all this, Jeff. In, in your story you shared, where you were also teaching and prepping for classes. So, what was that like while trying to manage both of those?
1: That was interesting, and I'm glad you brought it up because I have to thank my department chair at IUPUI for letting me go. You know, we went all online. But it wasn't all you know, every, not everybody went online faculty had the choice to do face to face or virtual and I went just the option of online because you know what's the point of doing face to face when you have to split the class in half. So I said, hey, can I go down and do this and he's like, yes, go, this is awesome, you know, so I went down and I spent my first week there, obviously in isolation. You know, working on classes during the day because I had five of them I had to prep for. Plus, I was doing a graduate consulting class, so I was working with graduate students that are working with industry partners. And so they I had to do presentations with them, which is a total another story. But then prepping for class, I had five of them to prep for and trying to do it all online. Then I had to get into the games, and then classes started. And once I got into the games, it was like, oh, man, the schedule is going to be rough. Then I got my playoff schedule, and I'm going, "This is going to be easy now." Mm-hmm. But there was one class that always was a headache, and that was my three o'clock in the afternoon class on Mondays and Wednesdays because I had to prep for it, but I also had to teach it, and then I had to jump a bus at 4:30, some games. So it was uh, it was a bit rough, but uh, I think the kids got a lot out of it. The students got a lot out of it. You know, they they got to see me in a couple of different places, and you know, they got to. How many times is your your professor going to be doing something like that?
0: You're giving them incredible firsthand experience. You can take them inside. Hey, you want to work in sports? Look, this is what I'm doing. This is what it takes. These are the demands it's taking. Look, I'm not with my family for two months. Are you prepared to make those sacrifices? Yeah, that's kind of what
1: it was. And I think think that they they got that after a little bit of time. They were just like, man, this is awesome. But they also only got to see the hotel room for the most part. My graduate students got to see me on the bus. They got to see me in the actual arena because some of them were doing presentations while I was on the bus heading to a game because that was before the semester started. It was a summer class, so I was doing double headers still. So I'd have students coming into the arena with me, and I'm sitting there listening to them present to an industry partner, and I'm sitting at my table spot, so the industry partner is looking at the big board behind me with Utah Jazz on it, and they're going, where are you right now? <laughs>
0: That's pretty good. During the game, um, were you able to hear any, any kind of fun banner between the players? Did that stand out? Now, you're in row two, but you said the mics were on. Was there any good stuff to come hear, from that?
1: Yeah, you got to hear a little bit with the referees. Okay. Um, but more than anything, it was the behaviors. You got to see the behaviors. And my example that I got to see the most was Patrick Beverly. You'd see him yeah. come flying off the bench. <laughs> you know, you'd just be like, when did he become an assistant coach? <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I and again, like you mentioned earlier, I thought the benches were handled nicely, where everybody was spaced out. Everybody was essentially assigned a chair rather than you know coming down and sitting wherever you want. I think there were rows of coaches where you had to sit. Yeah. And for example, the Pacers back when they were they were playing, they would rotate whomever had the scout would sit in the front row with Nate, with Dan Burke and Josh Corbeil, the trainer, and the other one would sit in row two because there's only four in the first row. So there's yeah. little nuances like that that fascinate me, at least, in, in terms of the logistics. And, and sitting behind you, by the way, we should have mentioned the virtual fans, um, yes. which I had the opportunity to be one of those for one Pacer game. Pretty cool I experience. I, saw you. I
1: think I saw you that day.
0: There you go. Yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. I, was right- I had
1: Peyton Manning sitting behind me, so, uh, you know, little... I had Peyton Manning one day sitting behind me and old Michael Grady sat behind me one day.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, part of his duties with the Yes Network. That's awesome. When I did
1: a Brooklyn game, he was sitting right behind me, and when we were doing a Denver game, there's Pate Manning. I'm going, oh, there's old number 18 behind me.
0: No what? big deal, yeah. And now they're yeah, now they're trotting deal. out more and more uh, of these celebrities for the NBA Finals games probably to b- bring attention, if anything, to the games. Um, well, I saw former President
1: cool. Obama in one of these playoff games. That's right. You know? Yeah, that was but, game uh, one.
0: That was game one of the finals.
1: The funny thing about the benches, Scott, is that you know the, the player portion of the benches – I saw some innovative stuff with um, the individual Gatorade coolers.
0: I just don't know if that can work, though, during a regular season in, simple, in current environments because then you'd have to eliminate courtside seats. And essentially it takes up more space, and that means money for tickets unsold.
1: Yeah, that'll be the difficulty is the number of tickets you can sell. But at the same time, I thought that was really cool that they had you know, their own little towel, they had their own little dispenser. They had their own little cooler. They had all kinds of things right there attached to their chair. I thought that was really cool, and I thought, "Hey, that's really innovative." You know, a thoughtful process to to put that right in the players' hands. It was really, I thought it was really cool.
0: Yeah, and being a former ball boy, that would actually make it easier because you could leave once you, you're done with their warm up, and they go onto the court. You could go probably tuck it in at their seat, and it would simplify yeah. that. I just don't see that happening because it would eliminate like two more rows of courtside primo seating.
1: Yeah, and I, I really don't see that happening, but at the same time, Lord knows what they might do, Scott. Who knows? I mean we, we, we don't know what they might do.
0: I look forward to being back courtside again at Banker's Life and we'll have a brand new video board and all kinds of new things with the renovations, but it'll be great. We have it'll no idea great. when I'm that might be. To here, myself. Right? Well, to wrap up, Jeff, I'm just curious, any final takeaways from this experience? And I did think it was cool. It looked like when maybe on one of your last nights, the entire stats crew got together either for a dinner or a going away party or something. That had to be cool because you met the majority of those people. And then you had, you know, DG and John um, and a few others you probably already had good relationships with.
1: Well, I tell you what, man, the, the the that last day we had a lunch together and, you know, it was it was the last day of us being there for the playoffs. And it was, so there was a second round of quote unquote cuts and we got together and all those people, I mean, I I can, I can go on and on about, I think it was, I worked with directly or indirectly. I think it was upwards of 15 different teams and all coming together for one cause still in touch with them.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
1: You know, um, the guys from the Houston Rockets, the guys from the Dallas Mavericks, the, the Phoenix Suns, um, Eric Smith, the PA announcer for the LA Clippers. Awesome, awesome dude. Didn't know he was a school teacher. You know, he's a school teacher. We got to talk about some methods of teaching and things like that while we were in the bubble. You know, just some things like that. And I stayed in touch with some of them. And actually, some of them have come on to our virtual speaker series at IPY. You know, I had a couple of guys that are still in the bubble actually come on. The official scorebook from uh, Dallas Mavericks and a statistician from the Washington Wizards, they both came on and spoke in class the other day from inside the arena.
0: That's outstanding. You
1: know, so, you know, it's just, it's just connections. And that's the thing that I try to te- teach my students is just meet people. You know, I'm not saying hang out with them and become their best friend. Just meet, meet them. You know, share contact information, get to know them a little bit, work with them, you know, have a little fun with them. And I think we did that. You know, And I met so many different people, and I, ugh, I'm i so grateful for the opportunity. And to be honest with you, I said it in my little LinkedIn post you were referring to earlier, is that sometimes opportunities come up, you just have to say yes. You, know, you just have to take the risk and say yes. And I keep trying to tell my students, say yes to whatever you can. Yep. Get as many opportunities as you can, and when you do, take advantage of them and have fun with them. I wish, looking back, I would have been a little bit more social, but the nerves of COVID, you know, all that stuff being out there. I just was like, you know what? I don't need to. So I'll be as social as I can be during games. And I think we did a good job. I've met a lot of good people and I I can't wait to, to keep those relationships going and and bring people back into my classrooms and talk about that sort of stuff because it's an unforgettable experience. I've got so many photos and I, I, it's just unreal.
0: That's awesome. You said it excellently right there is, Say yes. Meet people. Be a good guy. Build those relationships because they can help you. You could potentially help them and media stuff and in your role as a professor and those sorts of things. You just never know how it could benefit you. Maybe the NBA has another emergency something go on. Maybe in an all-star game they need a stats crew. Um, they, and and they maybe they're willing
1: out. to turn to the people that you know sacrifice. They were for talking about a second bubble. You you knew that. They Right. Were talking about starting in December, right? And they, there was questions floated. Would you be willing to do it? You know, I'm like, I've talked to my wife, but sure, I'd be willing to do it. I would, would never pass that opportunity up if it happened again because it just, it was different. It was a different environment. And, you know, it's like Tyler Pratt from the Buffalo Bills said to our students yesterday, you know, why can't I do something like that? You know, what, what, what's, what's stopping me? You know, I just have to say yes to it and go. I didn't even know about the money part of it. I didn't even know about the pay, And
0: mm-hmm. I said yes right <laughs> That's and, the and sometimes you have to just having the faith that look they're going to take care of us in probably a fair way, not not just monetarily but maybe in other other ways as well and so food
1: the the reentry that was the part that we were worried about all of us. We got to talking <laughs> about it at, at lunch one day, and that was when we get out, what do we do? You know are we going to go to a grocery store, grab a a paper bag, walk through, put a fill our bag up, and then try to pay for it with our magic band. <laughs> you know, because in reality, we didn't even have to pay for the food down there. It, we, we would literally go from our room, walk walk through by the pickleball court, which okay. I'll, I'll describe this to you in one way. Do you remember the scene from Top Gun playing with the boys?
0: I'm not the movie guy.
1: Oh, well, beach volleyball scene. You'll have to look it up okay. sometime on YouTube because it's there. Okay. Shirts off, guys sweating. That was the pickleball court during the day. You walk past it, and all you'd hear in your head was playing with the boys. Okay. So imagine that when you see the scene, okay, check the scene out on YouTube. When you see it, you'll be like, I get what he's saying. You'd pass by that, and then you'd pass by Rachel Nichols doing some kind of piece right here by the media area. And then you'd go in and grab some food. Well, you'd go in, grab a bag, put your food in the bag, grab whatever you needed, hand sanitizer, wipes, whatever you needed, put them in the bag, walk out. So re reentry was like, how do we get to do this? Are we gonna get caught shoplifting sometime? Are any of one of us gonna get thrown in jail because we took two hundred dollars worth of food and didn't know it?
0: For fans that didn't know, I mean Magic Band basically a little wristlet that was everything you needed down there. It was your wallet, it was your room key, it was your um ability to move building to building. You had to get cleared as you entered every building. So yeah, I and could, it was, yep. I could yep. totally understand that. Um when you did return, was there any part of you was like I'm never going to be any safer than I just was. I should just stay in or something. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, absolutely. I will answer that with a complete and utter affirmative. When I <laughs> left there, I went, oh, dear God, I'm not going to be tested every day. So what's the odds of leaving my house? And I'll be completely honest with you. I think I've left my house eight times in the three weeks I've been home.
0: That's it. Okay.
1: Because there's, I, I don't really have any reason to because I'm teaching online. Right. You know, I'll go to the store every now and then. I'll come to you know, put my my mom's dog out or whatever. But other than that, I got no reason to leave. So it's pretty much like I'm at the hotel still, just without friends.
0: I did like the fact you said you took a lot of pictures. I'm curious. This is something I asked Tim as well. Did you do anything special to like memorialize, if you will, this experience? Did you keep a daily journal or anything like that?
1: I think uh, I can describe that by saying, yes, I sort of did with uh, I did put it put together a little video piece for my uh, for IUPUI's alumni magazine. And so they have a little video piece that I have that kind of documented your day and the bus ride and the game and kind of the environment. But most of it's in my head, to be honest with you. I, I remember every day like it was yesterday. Including the whole week, you know, of being in the room, I still remember it. I could write it down right now if I. If I was going to say,
0: if I were you, I would almost dedicate an afternoon, drink a beer in your on your patio or something. Uh, and, that
1: the thought has crossed my mind, and jot me. this
0: down. Or you're in media, you could also record some kind of podcast or something for yourself. You wouldn't even have to post it. But
1: and, and I've thought about that too. Just I've thought something about, so you have
0: things. it. Yeah, that's awesome. No, good stuff, Jeff. I appreciate it. It was fun following all of you guys in general and especially the Indiana guys that were actively helping this NBA um, bubble work. And it it has, we've gotten to the finals. It's just about up as of this recording and it's shown so far throughout this country that that's the only true effective way to carry on.
1: And I'll tell you what, man, they did such a good job down there. Uh, The COVID protocols were absolutely on point for what they needed to do. I mean, it really was give all the credit to the NBA and all the credit to, to, Walt Disney world for Really going above and beyond for us. You
0: had a daily app you had to check in, all those different things. So yeah,
1: the the temperature check, the pulse ox check, the symptom check. I mean, it was.
0: Be honest, became
1: habitual, and I still do it. I was just going to ask, do you come home
0: and do that? Yeah.
1: Yep. Now that I have a pulse ox, (laughs) I check it every day. I just check it every morning when I get up, and I record it into my phone. You know, so I don't do it in their app, but I do it in my own app. Right. You know, and the Aura Ring, man. Aura doesn't like me most of the time because I don't catch it. I don't get enough activity during the day, and I sleep like crap. So Aura yells at me every now and then. I get a notice on my phone
0: saying, hey, you Mm -hmm. need to move. I've been surprised, Jeff, how little we've heard about that ring since it was publicized that everyone would be getting it because that's something that's so minimal that anybody could wear and and wear comfortably. And if it helps you and helps perhaps detect something early, but really it's just been quiet ever since everybody was given one.
1: Yeah, and I I don't know. I mean, there really wasn't much to describe. I don't think. I, I, I'm guessing that it's probably because they, you know, they were doing it. Maybe they were doing it more for advertising or marketing or something. I don't know. But I tell you what, I got my sister to buy one.
0: Okay. Yeah,
1: because she can't she can't wear the 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 Apple Watch that has the green thing on it, the green sensor, the light, because it gives her a headache. So this doesn't have any lights on it. It just got three sensors on it. And she said, can that track activity and stuff? I said, yeah, it'll track it. In, you connect it to your phone, it'll track everything. And so I think she's going to buy one of those as opposed to a Fitbit or a watch because it doesn't have that pulsing light that, that UV, kinda, I don't know if it's a UV light or what it is, infrared or whatever, that can give her a headache. So who knows?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. I think everyone should have something, one of those devices. Amazon's coming out with their own device. Um, there's the Whoop, I think it is, that a lot of people are, are using. That That's kind of a monthly subscription. But
1: Well, I'm sitting here with an aura ring on my finger and an Apple Watch on, so I'm tracking everything from my sleep to my steps to my heart rate to my pulse ox, everything. Mm-hmm. I love it. So I'm keeping track of my own health, Scott.
0: <laughs> As we all should. No, good stuff, Jeff. I appreciate it. And fans can follow you on Twitter, I think, where you're, you're most active, at Dr. Jeff Sherman. That's G-E-O-F-F Sherman. So I appreciate it, Jeff. That, Thank man. you.